Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, here with my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, Penn State's 1-0 this week. Penn State is 1-0 this week, indeed. And the good news is that, and I know Penn State fans, some of them will not like this, but there is literally no way that Penn State could lose a football game this week, so it's going to be a good bye week. Fingers crossed, all that. But before we get into the bye week, Penn State 31-7 to over Northwestern. The Nittany Lions walked into Evanston. Really, really dominant performance by the Penn State defense. Uh, like we said, seven points for Northwestern. Only 265 yards of total offense, three takeaways. Uh, their running game couldn't get too terribly much going. Their passing game, I mean, they were able to move the ball a very tiny bit, but still not too terribly much. Then on the other side, Trace McSorley had a very solid game, 25 for 34, 245 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. Saquon Barkley, 16 carries, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Yardage number might be a little bit skewed. We'll talk about that in a bit. And yeah, just in general, Nick, I thought this was a very solid, a very well-rounded performance out of Penn State. I think everyone has concerns about going into Evanston based on the last couple of years of going into Evanston. But I thought they handled them about as well as they could have. And we'll start this week by asking the question we ask every week. What did we learn from watching Penn State win this football game? I think the main thing we learned is that Saquon Barkley doesn't necessarily have to touch the ball for the Penn State offense to be good and for the Penn State offense to be able to a nice game for Trace McSorley on the surface. 245 yards and a touchdown doesn't seem all that great, but he really was in a rhythm for most of the day. I think he completed 15 passes in a row at one point, um, so he was pretty locked in. A um, couple overthrows, a couple misses, but as I said last week, that happens with literally every quarterback, so nothing to worry about there. Um, we learned that the offensive line is an issue still, but we'll get to that in a little bit. We learned that Joe Moorhead and the offense are still very much um, making, including Tommy Stevens, a priority in the offense. He got in for, I think he was in there for four snaps overall, maybe three, um, and it looked pretty good. To Um, to be clear, three or four non-quarterback snaps, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Um, And we learned, I I read this after the game, but we learned that the receiving core, they kind of broke out last week. They we learned that they are now confirmed still alive, still breathing. Blacknell had four catches. Tomkin had six catches. Juwan Johnson had six catches. Brandon Polk had three catches. Deshaun had two. Miles Sanders had two. Gasicki had two. Barkley had two. Stevens had two. So they spread the ball out a lot, which um, kind of now with two weeks in a row of Barkley not really getting anything consistent going on the ground. Um, McSorley has had to really spread the ball out, which now Michigan and Ohio State preparing for Penn State, they can, I mean, they can follow this game plan that Northwestern and Indiana have run uh, Barkley and making Trace McSorley beat them, but that's worked to the tune of Penn State's offense, putting up, I think, against Indiana, they, they scored 45 total. 45, yeah. Okay, so they put up 28 points of offense in that, or, yeah, 28 points of offense in that one, and they like that. put put up 31 points of offense in this one. So, clearly, that there's there's not a good way to stop this offense, and I think this game just kind of proved that more. Um, and then, finally, this defense is awesome. Ooh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to talk about it in a sec, but, dude, I, I, 
I, I was actually uh, I tweeted something out because uh, Penn State in S and P Plus rankings this week are up to number four, and I made some you know joke about how they're Penn State fans who are still complain who are going to complain are going to say oh well it doesn't show how good they are blah 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 blah, and you know Bill C had a little bit of fun with that and he said something, and we'll discuss this in a second. He thinks that he's underestimating the defense like everyone else, and I think we might be too. Uh, but before we get into the defense... They have gotten no... Uh, I'll, I'll save it. I'll okay, save it. sure. Okay. But, but, again, before we get into that, the, the thing this game showed to me is that it showed off the amount of weapons that Penn State has on offense. I, Barkley, yes, didn't have his best game. I, like I mentioned, he had 75 yards, 53 came them, 53 of them came on one carry. One of his touchdown runs was for like half a yard. There was a point where he had more touchdowns than rushing yards. Like Northwestern really, really, really sold out to stop him. Just throwing dudes in the box, attacking the line of scrimmage and trying to get into the backfield. So Trace McSorley, whether he put whether he put the ball into Saquon Barkley's chest and told him to take it, or if he took it himself, it was going to be a bad decision. And th- that it's one of those things that people who aren't happy with McSorley's decision-making, yes, there are times where he's not great, but there are also plenty of times when he has the ball, he's throwing it into, some, into Barkley's chest, and no matter what ends up happening, there's going to be a linebacker right there to hit him. Yeah, that that's a tough decision to make when you have a free rusher coming at you. Right, and if he gives it to Barkley, then guess what? Saquon Barkley is probably going to get tackled when it's in that tight of a space. And there will be times when he breaks it because he's Saquon Barkley, sure, but more often than not, he's going to get hit. Then if he keeps it, it's going to be the exact same thing. And, you know, he had 16 rushes in this game for negative one yard, so that's, I, I mean, that's just something that's been happening. Neither here nor there. I think this game really did show that when teams are teeing in on keeping Saquon Barkley from beating them, it showed that McSorley is able to get the ball out to one of these various weapons that he has, whether it's Blacknall or Tompkins or Johnson or the re-emerging Brandon Polk. or Deshaun Hamilton last week had one of the best games that he will have in his entire collegiate career. Last week, nine catches, 122 yards, three touchdowns. This week, two for 35 and no scores. Penn State has all of these weapons, and I believe that it's getting to a point where now that Saquon now that Saquon Barkley is really getting taken away, it's up to Trace McSorley to make defenses pay, and he threw for 245 yards. He completed 73.5% of his passes. Penn State scored 31 points on offense. Like, we're starting to see, and now that they have a bye week, they could start to incorporate some more stuff and really get hyper-focused on fixing the issues that have popped up over the first six weeks. And we'll discuss... (coughs) Excuse excuse me, I'm dying. We'll discuss said issues on a future podcast, uh, and one or two right now. But one of the issues has been what happens when you can't get Saquon Barkley going. What happens when defenses decide the one thing that this offense is not going to do is get beaten by Saquon Barkley? And we got a little bit of a glimpse of that against Northwestern, and that's especially big with Michigan and with Ohio State right on the horizon. Uh, One way that 
those games would be a little less scary, I think, because both of those defenses are nasty, would be if Penn State's offensive line could keep, uh, you know, the mutants on Ohio State's front seven and just the horrifying human beings that Michigan has, both on its defense and calling its defensive plays where they decide to just blitz all over the place out of the backfield. I think Northwestern was the latest example of why we should be a bit concerned. So Nick, I've gotten a chance to rewatch the game. You have gotten the chance to rewatch the game. Was there anything that you noticed as you, you know, you're paying a little bit more attention a second time to what was happening with the offensive line and some of the concerns that uh, you might have based on that? Well, the first thing I noticed when I rewatched um, was that the the run issues and Saquon's numbers in particular really came down to one small stretch of time for the most part. There was like three or four plays in a row that they ran on the ground that got just completely blown up in the backfield. But he actually had some a couple like seven, eight yard runs earlier in the game that I had kind of forgotten about, but they um, just didn't show up in the stats because of so many negative plays, um, mostly from the fantastic work of Patty Fisher before he got ejected for targeting. But that that's kind of what I noticed. But then, I mean, the rest of the time, like it wasn't great, but it was not as bad as I thought it was on first watch at the very least. And then on the flip side, I thought the pass protection was actually pretty good. Um, McSorley had a nice pocket to work from most of the time, which was encouraging because, I mean, we've been talking about it. You got You have to pick your poison with this team. So it's nice to know that if they're not run blocking well, they can at least pass block for McSorley to have a nice pocket. So there were... It, it wasn't quite as negative on the rewatch as I thought it was going to be. It was actually all right. Interesting, because as you know, I'm paying very loose attention while I've, I had some other things going on this weekend, but it seemed to me, and th- this has kind of seemed to be a fairly consistent thing, uh, you know, teams, when they're shutting down Barkley, quote-unquote shutting down Barkley, it's because they decide what we're going to do is we're going to have some everyone pin their ears back. We're selling out against him. And it did seem like for a while, based on uh, what you know, based on what you just said, like it was just what happens if you know what happens when a defense decides let's focus and let's make sure that when Saquon touches the ball, there will be those little times when he chips away and you know, five yards, six yards, four yards, eight yards, seven yards, whatever it is. But there are still those runs where, yeah, negative one, negative two. Uh, and what, and real yeah. quick, one thing I heard on the on the broadcast was, um, I forget who was calling the game, but they were like, well, that's the one thing that NFL teams, if they have any yep. worries about, yep. aside from – Todd McShay's ridiculous grades. We'll talk about those later. But um, the one thing they're like, he dances a little bit in the back. Well, the only reason he was dancing in the backfield in this game is because he had two unblocked dudes in front of him by the time he got the football. Like, what else are you going to do? Well, um, yeah, I don't know. Like that, that, That's one of those things that it's so easy to say, 
oh, this is such a big issue for Barkley. This is something he doesn't do well. Blah, 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 blah. Well, of course it's going to look like he's dancing when he's trying to get that extra yard or two when a bunch of guys have swarmed into the backfield and they're just consuming him. But, yeah, like what you said with the pass point, I thought that, I've thought through the first couple of games, yeah, there have been some times where it's taken a little bit for them to get into a groove. I mean, Iowa really, I thought, pushed them around. But for the most part, McSorley has a pocket to throw in. Uh, I think the issue is that he's not exactly a guy who likes sitting back in the pocket. He likes having the opportunity to move around and, you know, get out of there. And, you know, he could tuck in and run if he wants, but he also likes doing that. So hopefully he can, uh, you know, put a little bit of fear into a defensive back and the guy's able to get behind them. But for the most part, yeah, I thought the pass blocking has been fine this year. It seemed a lot like the run blocking. And I don't know what the solution is. I have one or two things I'm kind of kicking around in my head that I think might work. And I'm going to guess that it's something similar to what you're about to say. But if you had to guess on some type of a solution for what's been up with Penn State's offensive line, what would you, what pops, what kind of comes to mind when you hear that? Well, I think the first thing is that Andrew Nelson, I think, is, I don't know exactly what's wrong with him, but clearly he's been injured all year in some capacity. So, I mean, he's not, I don't think he's the answer at right tackle at this point. Um, Will Fries is a redshirt freshman. It's not surprising to see him struggle there. And Chaz Wright was always that guy that could put in like 10, 15 really good snaps a game, but was never supposed to be a starter. So, and then Brendan Mann, I, I mean, I, I trust the coaching staff. I trust Matt Limegrover, but he's just always been better at tackle than guard. I just don't, I don't really get why he continues to play guard. So I, I mean, I think the bottom line is that there's no clear answer to fill in at right tackle unless you decide to bump Mayan out and you try someone else on the inside, which I have some thoughts on, nope. but I'll let you share yours first. Nope. For me, it, it, it seems like that's what makes the most sense. I mean, for all of the jokes that I like to say about pro football focus, I am like everyone in that when they help me push a narrative I like, I like them. So what else is their purpose? Exactly. And last year they were saying Brendan Mayen wasn't just good. I think like we kind of forget the fact that they were more or less saying that Brendan Mayen was one of the two or three best offensive linemen in the Big Ten when he was healthy and on the field last year. And he was doing that at tackle, a position that, yeah, like you said, when Herb Hand was the offensive line coach, he had the exact same issue. Now Matt Limegrover's here. Well, it, I mean, it's not as big of an issue now. I think he looks a little bit more comfortable in guard than he did under Herb Hand. But we saw under Hand, when he got slid out to tackle, he was a perfectly fine offensive tackle last year uh, with Matt Limegrover in charge. He was a really, 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 really good tackle. And it seems like the thing that makes the most sense is put him there. Of course, the issue is then who fills in at guard. I mean, we've seen Chaz Wright take some snaps there. Uh, Michael Mennett is there here in the program. We don't know where he is in terms of being able to get on the field. Uh, Mike Miranda is the exact same way. There's, you know, they're sliding over Ryan Bates, but then who plays left tackle? I mean, it seems like everyone kind of agrees. Well, I don't want to say everyone kind of agrees, but everyone that, you know, we've discussed the team with, not in an official capacity, just among our friends. See, the thing that, see, 
say the th- thing that seems like it makes the most sense is Brendan Mayen says plays right tackle. The thing that, you know, holds us back is we don't know what that next thing is. So what do you think that next thing is? Yeah, I I agree that I think, and I think they will during this bye week, especially because they have time to experiment. I think they have to be aware that they need to try something different. So I would, I think they will try to kick uh, Mayan out to tackle. But like you said, the question is who then picks up the slack at guard? I mean, is it Chaz Wright? We did see him play a little bit of guard last year. So is it him that we see slide in there? Is it Michael Bennett, who has been playing this year, but hasn't quite been good enough to crack that starting rotation, which is not unsurprising because dude's a redshirt freshman. Got to give him a chance to mature a little bit and acclimate to the college game. And then there's an option, like you said, a guy like um, Mike Miranda, who was reportedly a guy who was uh, a yellow light for this season, as in um, the coaching staff won't be afraid to play, but they'll probably redshirt if they can. I mean, if he's good enough, I see no reason why they won't experiment with him at right guard during these next two weeks uh, if they if they decide that's what's best for this offense. I think that that's something that they almost have to look at. If they were willing to say before the year that if we need to, we're willing to play this guy, he's been that good, then I think they need to give him a fair shot at that job. Yeah, and there's also, you know, like an unheralded dude like you know, Zach Simpson, who has seemed like he's uh, he, he's been impressive and – I don't know to what extent he's been impressive, but they, they, there's that in the back pocket too. I just want to make sure that he's appeared in a few games this season, so he's thrown out there as something of an option. Nothing, uh, nothing too serious though. But yeah, I, I think this is the kind of thing that we're going to hear all throughout the next week and a half, two weeks, whatever it is. Penn State's trying this. Penn State's trying that. Penn State ended. Penn State ended camp today with a left-to-right offensive line of who knows, who knows, who knows, who knows, and Brendan Mann. But it's they're in a position these next couple of weeks where they could see what works best. And once they figure that out, I mean, like we said, they have to find a way to keep Michigan and Ohio State, and even Michigan State, from getting into the backfield and causing havoc. I think that they that with a few weeks to prepare, they could do that. But they need to they need to sort a few things out on that on the uh, on the offensive line where they don't need to sort a few things out though is on the defensive side of things where they have just been nasty this year like i don't think any of us really expected this their points allowed uh, and i'm pretty sure there are no special teams touchdowns in there but i could be wrong for are, are there uh, defensive against them? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, has there been like a pick six or a fumble, scoop and score and a fumble or a kickoff? Return? I don't no. think so. No. Yeah. Okay. I thought so. So they've allowed 14, 19, 14, and seven points in four games against Power Five opponents. Of course, Pittsburgh, Indiana, Iowa, and Northwestern aren't exactly the greatest show on turf Rams. But. Having said that, it's still a bunch of really impressive performances through the first six games of the year. Penn State is ninth in defensive S&P+. I am pretty sure that their statistical profile isn't updated right now on football out, uh, study hall, so we don't know the most up-to-date statist- uh, advanced stats on them. Yeah, not updated yet. So 
look out for that on the site because we are going to do a little something on that. But I think the thing, Nick, that has been so, so surprising to me is that everyone has said, oh, look, they're playing the bend, they're doing the bend but don't break thing. Uh, they're not snapping. They're this, that, and the other thing. I have kind of disagreed because there hasn't really been a game this season where I felt like Penn State's defense was letting a team move the ball with too much consistency against them. Nope, not at all. They've played six games and have not allowed more than 20 points in any single one of them. And at no point did it really seem, aside from times when all the backups were in, like this, the last drive against Northwestern or one of the last drives in the Indiana game, it really never felt like they were allowing teams to drive consistently. Pitt put together a nice drive, but it was on the back of a Kadri Olsen run that I think went for like 30, 40-something yards. Um, all of Iowa's touchdowns came off of, the, the one came off of the short field after the interception, and the other one, the Akron-Wadley run, was just a nice busted play that Wadley took advantage of. Uh, but yeah, they haven't let anyone do anything consistent at all. I'm I'm looking at their uh, what, their advanced stats coming into this weekend, and their ex- measure of explosiveness, ISO PPP, Penn State is 14th this season. In terms of success rate, they're 13th this season. In terms of finishing drive, they're 7th this season. So basically what this tells me is that it's very, very hard to consistently move the ball against Penn State. That's where the success rate comes in. It's very, very hard to get a big play against Penn State. That's where ISO PPP comes in. And it's very hard to get anything more than basically a field goal against them when you're in a position to score, which is uh, finishing drives, points per trip inside the 40, which is ex- coming into this weekend was exactly three points. That's been the case running the football where – 12th in success rate, 50th in rushing ISO PPP. So a little bit of a, I don't want to say concern there, but, you know, uh, Akramwad, we had one big run. Uh, Quadri Olson, as you mentioned, had one big run. And then the passing game, 19th in passing success rate, 7th in passing ISO PPP. So I and, th- and not only are they not letting teams move the ball, but they're taking the ball away from yep. teams at just a crazy yep. rate. Yeah, I mean, I'll pull up the uh, the – turnover margin for Penn State this year but their turnover numbers are insane I, I don't know I, I know they had I know they had seven fumbles before this game they forced one more so they're at eight I think they Grant Haley has two picks this year Orarie now has two Allen has one Penn, okay so I have it up right now uh in terms of uh yeah in terms of margin per game so Penn State is forcing two turnovers a game they have uh, their first in the nation in uh, yeah. Let me let me make sure I'm getting this right because I want to be sure. Okay, so they have turned the ball over 17 times this year, which is tied for first in the nation with Central Michigan. I did not see this coming, especially with John Reed out. I thought that while I thought Christian Campbell was going to be a very solid defensive back, as was Amani Oruwarie. And, of course, Grant Haley's Grant Haley. I did not expect Penn State's defense to be able to swarm the way they have. And even more impressive has been the fact that 
again, coming into this week, when you're looking at their ability to just do stuff, especially in the defensive backfield, by their havoc rate, which I believe is uh, passes defended, uh, turnovers, and tackles for loss, they're 11th in the nation. So this is a defensive backfield, which I think we all agreed was kind of the big concern on the defense, namely who was going to be that second uh, safety next to Marcus Allen. They've been fantastic this year, and it's made it so Jason Cabinda gets... He, he hasn't had to do as much either of the linebackers. They've got to really... Well, I don't even want to necessarily say that, but they haven't been relied on to, you know, play spotless football so the secondary doesn't get tested too terribly much. And the defensive line, yeah, they're, I don't think their pass rush has been especially great. I have to look at the numbers on that, so don't quote me on it. I don't think they're getting home as much as... Uh, as much as it, does, it doesn't seem yeah. like they're getting after the quarterback as much. It's, right, they, they've gotten they've been close to a lot of sacks, but that's but it's more it's more once they once they give the ball to somebody, they just are oh, on wow. top of them Penn, immediately. Penn State is seventeenth in the nation in total sacks this year, which I I didn't realize. There you that. go. I did not realize that at all, and I'm going to guess that uh, I'll pull up tackles for loss in the second. I'm going to guess the Penn State's rather high there. Yeah. They're third nationally in tackles for loss. This is a really, really, really good defense and, and fast They're Yeah. That's kind of the surprising thing. When you think Penn state defense, you're thinking big, hard nosed physical punch you in the mouth. Well, they still have that, but they also have a whole bunch of dudes who are fast and rangy and able to just make plays and, Oh my god, it's awesome. Yeah, it's really really fun to watch. I mean, every single every single swing pass, every single quick wide receiver throw, like immediately after they catch the ball, you see one of the defensive ends, you see Manny Bone, you see Marcus Allen, you see awesome. Uh your mic just went out for a few seconds, so say that again. Okay, is it working now? Oh yeah, it's fine. I'm not cutting this oh, okay. by the way. That's fine. No, I'll leave it in. I was just gonna <laughs> say it's it seems like every time every time a receiver gets the ball on a just a quick pass or there's a swing pass to a running back, it's like the second they catch it, you see Manny Bowen, Marcus Allen, Christian Campbell, one of the defensive ends, they're all just right there immediately, and it's really fun to watch. Yeah, and these the, they've used so many personnel packages. Like j- just look at the defensive line. Whenever it's like they have a plan and they stick to it because it works, that every time they get into a certain down and distance, they know exactly who's coming off, they know exactly who's going on, and that group is going to be able to make whatever play they have to make. I mean, the, this goes for linebackers too, it goes for the secondary too. It's just such a consistent. It's such a consistent game plan from that perspective, and it's worked out. It's been great. They've been fantastic so far this year. And again, I do have to stress, I'm about to do some searching on the uh, offensive S&P Pluses for the teams that they've played. Pitt is at 66. Iowa is at 87. Indiana is at 76. And, 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 and Northwestern, who I forgot about because I'm, I'm just a complete idiot, is at 83rd. They haven't exactly gone up against any insane units yet. They're, they're, I, will, I will say, I, the one thing that I am slightly concerned about is that 
the times when they have seemed to give up yardage, it's when teams go hurry up and they can't get their big substitutions in because mm-hmm. this, I mean, Brent probably loves and Sean Spencer particularly love to substitute guys and keep everyone fresh. And there is a Kevin Wilson offense waiting on the horizon. Yep. And that I'm not too worried about that against Michigan. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Michigan in a second, but that offense is, especially with uh, John O'Corn in there. I, I'm not as terrified of that game after watching, uh, watching John O'Corn go under center and do all the various stuff that he's been doing there. So I'm not, Wait, I don't think Penn State will be tested too terribly much by Michigan. I think Michigan's going to be able to move them around and punch them in the mouth and do some funky stuff when it comes to, you know, getting offensive linemen out into space and blocking guys at the second level. Uh, That Ohio State matchup's a little bit scary because Ohio State is third in offensive S&P Plus right now. They are currently just mowing through teams. We'll talk about them later. in a second once we get to our Big Ten recap, but this week against Maryland was hilarious, even though Mar- the Maryland that, you know, kind of had a few of us excited for how good they might be earlier in the season is definitely not the same team. They've still, in their last three ga- four games, have gone 38, 54, 56, and then like 62 against Maryland or whatever it was. But then for the rest of the schedule, like Michigan State, they're not going to do too terribly much on offense. They're going to try and run the ball and be physical and all that, but not a big concern. Rutgers is Rutgers. Nebraska is god-awful at holding on to the football. Like, Tanner Lee is the best quarterback I have ever seen at throwing pick sixes. And then Maryland is, by that point, if you believe that trends carry for a, through the course of the entire season, will be on, like, their seventh quarterback. So... There's still a lot to go. With how this defense is playing, the only game that gives me reason for concern is Ohio State. But other than that, I think this defense is going to keep Penn State in every game that it plays, Nick. And I also think that this offense during the second half of the season, once it kind of figures out someone and has a few weeks to kind of figure out its offensive line a little bit more and game plan in the event its offensive line struggles. I think this final stretch of the season has the potential to be way more fun than this first half was, which says a lot because it involved thumping pit and winning a stunning, stunning game against Iowa. Yeah. I mean, this team has not reached their ceiling and they're beating teams by 28 points. Most of the time, aside from the Iowa game. So, I, I mean, yeah, you have to be pretty excited about that. For sure. And on that note, is there anything else that you want to say about this football game? Not really. Yeah. I mean, it I, was, I mean, it was, it was, it was a fun game. It somehow it felt more comfortable than, I don't know. It, it was, I'm not sure how it compares to the Indiana game. Uh, I think if you were bashing McSorley after the Indiana game, you have to kind of be eating your hat a little bit after this week because he was very good. But, yeah, both, uh, no, both good no, games. No, that's, that's not how the internet works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Clayton Thorson is, I, I got to admit, Nick, I think his draft stock may have taken a bit of a tumble. Um, but the good news the good news is that the Broncos will need a backup quarterback they will, at some point. They will, still have touchdown Trevor. So. And Clayton. 
you you just disappeared again. Whatever. I'm sure. Whatever, I'm sure whatever you just said was very poignant, and people are gonna feel bad for not knowing it. Uh, yeah. Justin Jackson got bottled up. I mean, he had what? He was kind of like Barkley. Barkley had 75 rushing yards. One was for 53. Jackson had 66. One was for 28. So both of them kind of had that one little outlier. Uh, Northwestern couldn't really do too much through the air. Uh, Godwin Igwebuki was all over the place. There were two guys ejected. Until he made a stupid play and I got was, targeting. There were two guys ejected for targeting, right? Him and Patty Fisher? Yep. And Craig Patty he, Fisher's Patty Fisher's was, was legit. Yeah. Um, and then he, God, he came in yeah. late. Yeah. But Godwin Igwebuke's. Oh, boy. Um, I mean, he... He clearly knew as he was going down for the hit, he kind of had like a no, 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 no moment yeah. because he kind of like turned and tried to like just hit the ground and kind of try to flip himself over instead of hitting Sanders. Yeah. But just unfortunately, um, his helmet just barely hit Sanders' helmet. It was it was a pretty soft targeting call um, by the rules it was, but um, it was unfortunate yeah. for him. Uh, Blake Gilligan was great again. Tyler Davis, he missed a field goal. Um, I'm, we're getting to the point where this might be a reason for concern, but hopefully, you know, he gets unplugged and plugged back in and put in rice and all that during the bye week and everything's going to be all right. So that, that's really the one. And we had, when we had Bill on last week, he kind of made this point that, uh, Penn State's special teams this year have been awesome. They've been great punting the ball. They've been insane punting the ball. They've been great on kickoffs. They've been great on punt returns. Uh, Saquon's looked better on kickoff returns. Really, the one thing that has had them has been field goals, and uh, they were 123rd in field goal value per kick last week. Uh, I'm not sure what they are this week, but they went from 86th in special teams S&P Plus down to 88th, so that'll be a thing to keep an eye on as the full numbers come out. Uh, yeah, just a really good, solid, all-around, well-rounded performance. I think it's time to go into the Big Ten and talk about another good, solid, well-rounded performance, which was our beloved Indiana Hoosiers beating Charleston Southern 27-0. Nick, how much of this game did you watch? Not a single minute. Good, neither did I. Next up, Purdue 31, Minnesota 17. This game was fun because after it happened, Purdue jumped up 20 spots in S&P Plus, going from 72nd to 52nd. Uh, They were able to throw the ball fairly well. David Blau didn't have a great game, but then Elijah Sindelar came in and he played very well. They ran the ball a little bit. Minnesota ran the ball pretty well. Uh, Two, still 31-17, to just kicked the crap out of them in the fourth quarter, outscoring them 18-3. to I think that Purdue is getting close to turning that corner. I think last week they gave Michigan uh, a bit of a scare. I don't think they're going to beat Wisconsin. I, I think that them going into Camp Randall is a little bit too much. But looking down the rest of their schedule, I don't see a, def- a definite win, definite loss between Rutgers, Nebraska, at Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, at Northwestern, at Iowa, and Indiana. Yeah, they look good. And I mean, the final score against Minnesota is pretty deceiving because they scored 14 points in like the last two minutes of the game. Um, The last seven coming out of that big pick six. But yeah, they they looked pretty good. They 
yeah, like again, they weren't 14 points better than Minnesota. They were seven points better than Minnesota, but they played well, and they the defense still looks good enough, and the offense. I mean, we know that the offense can do fun things. So, yeah, when you look down the schedule, it's not not a difficult thing to see a bowl game for sure. Uh, but when we're talking about difficult paths to a bowl game. Uh, I think we need to talk about the Illinois Fighting Illini, which lost 45-16 to to Iowa uh, in Kinnick. Nathan Stanley, uh, 17 for 32, 247, three touchdowns and an interception. Akram Wadley, very good game on the ground, 23 carries, 115 yards and a touchdown. Jeff George Jr., 22 for 45, 246 yards and three interceptions. They were able to move the ball on the ground a little bit. Uh the thing here is that I don't think Illinois is good at all, and I think Iowa is a very solid team. So when you put the two of those together, uh, you get a 45-16 to 16 Iowa win. That makes me upset that Penn State is not going to play Illinois this season because I think that would be hilarious. Yep, Illinois is bad. Oh, no, oh, no. Do you know what Illinois is doing the second to last week of the year? Mm, Ohio State? It's Ohio State's tune-up game before Michigan in the horseshoe. Yep. Ooh, God, that's going to be fun. Okay, uh, Wisconsin-Nebraska. Again, I didn't get a chance to watch terribly much of this. They. It, it seems to me like uh, maybe some of the Tanner we love at the beginning of the season was a little premature. Alex Hornibrook didn't have his best game. What? No. Jonathan Taylor, two, 25 carries, 249 yards, and a pair of scores. That was, whew. I mean, we know Nebraska's bad. Uh, Wisconsin has been a bit underrated this season. All the conversation in the Big Ten has been Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. Wisconsin, they really do deserve some love. And I think even though Nebraska's bad, going to Lincoln and uh, getting a 21-point win is the kind of thing that hopefully gets them a little bit more love going forward. Yeah, Nebraska played well for most of the, Well, they kept it close for most of this game, but Wisconsin just too much in the end. Um, Jonathan Taylor is really, really good. Yeah, I, it makes me upset because I, I want to see like Saquon against behind one of these offensive lines, which, I mean, whatever about Penn State, like, throw him behind the maulers that Wisconsin has and just watch him put up numbers that are just hilarious. But that that's in a different universe, whatever. Um, Ohio State hosted Maryland. So for those of you who aren't uh, aware, I my, my second job is I work for uh, the site Uprock Sports, and I went to go hang out with some of the uh, dudes who – you know, are my colleagues. We went down to Charlotte. It was a very lovely weekend. At one point, we were at a bar. You know, we're just getting some work done. We're enjoying some beverages, whatever. And we see the score of the Ohio State to Maryland game. And I tell everyone that Ohio State had allowed 14 yards of total offense to Maryland with nine minutes left in the third quarter. The end of this game. Ohio State 62, Maryland 14, Ohio State 584 yards of total offense, Maryland 66. I think, Nick, you will agree that Maryland is probably better than we saw during this game, uh, but they they just had no chance. I mean, going to the horseshoe is tough for anyone. Going to the touch of the horseshoe for a third-string quarterback who is pretty new to all of this is 
like asking you or I to do surgery. I'm not really sure I agree. I think this is probably closer to who Maryland is now than what oh, they've been doing because interesting. we, yeah, they, I mean, you can't beat good teams without a passing game and their running game is great, but we saw it last year too. They're when they couldn't run the ball, they didn't win football games and I, they're not 62 to 14 bad, but I think that's closer to what they are than whatever they've been doing the rest of the season because Max Bortenschlager, who, I mean, maybe now be might now be out longer, I don't even know, but they're on their fourth-string quarterback now, and that's not, you can't win games with that. This, again, will serve as my plea to DJ Durkin to install the triple option because I don't know what you're <laughs> waiting for. Just just do it. Yeah, I will We'll have to have someone like come onto the site and make the passionate, uh, stirring case for why uh, Maryland should be a triple option team. But yeah, like DJ, I know that this is minute forty-one of a Penn State football podcast, but we know you're listening, man. Just run the triple option. At this point, what else do you have to lose? And who knows? Who knows? Maybe by the time y'all play Penn State at the end of the year. That thing will be cooking, and you'll be able to do something. As long as you just don't take out anyone's knees. We, I want to see Penn State go against a triple option team. It's fun watching that. And you have a couple of weeks to get the triple option figured out before. Just put just put Harrison and Johnson yeah. and DJ Moore back there. Just yeah. do it. We, we, we believe in you, DJ Durkin. We really do. And... We're not mad. We're just disappointed. I think it's important to get that out there. And we know you're better than this. You can d- do the thing, DJ Durkin. Just let, let Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison be great. Last game, uh, and we will spend a second or two talking about this one, uh, because, Nick, I don't know if you realize it, but Michigan State beating Michigan 14-10. to We're going to assume that Penn State can beat Michigan State, so... We'll take that one off the schedule. If that ends up happening, which I think is going to happen, this game has massive ramifications for the Big Ten championship picture coming out of the Eastern Division when it comes to Penn State and Ohio State. Because in a way, this kind of... And you can elaborate on this if uh, you've... You're a lunatic and had a panic attack about this in the Charlotte airport earlier today, like me. But this makes Penn State's what I would argue most logical path to winning the Big Ten East. That door is now shut. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to comment really on Penn State's path to the Big Ten championship or anything like that yet because I want to see Penn State at least play, with, uh, play Michigan first because I... I mean, I want to see them face Michigan and Ohio State before I really comment on that. But as far as this game, I I don't think Michigan is as bad as they looked. I think John O'Korn is not good, and I think that their offense is going to struggle as long as Wilton Spade is out, which now looks like it's going to be all year. But I also I don't think they're that bad. I, I think the story of this game is pretty clear. It's that Michigan State was able to lock up two first half touchdowns and then, and then a monsoon their their defense combined with the monsoon made it a whole lot easier to stop Michigan. Oh, I I was watching this game with a Michigan fan and it was just insane. 
Like they're, they, Michigan was throwing the football consistently in a monsoon when we already had a large enough sample size that John O'Corn can't throw the football in a monsoon. Like even there were there was one moment I vividly remember. He gets out of the pocket. He looks down the field. He gets his feet set. He has, I believe it was Eddie McDoom wide open, and he just he throws a beautiful ball to him, and McDoom just dropped it. Like Michigan, Michigan lost this game by falling behind, by allowing 14 points in the first half. And this almost makes me think like this is the blueprint to beat Michigan. Get out ahead of them and you know, take Chris Evans, take Ty Isaac, take Karan Higdon out of the game and make John O'Corn beat you. And of course, this is the exact kind of thing that uh, leads to O'Corn making one or two plays against Penn State, but it, you know, this, we, I, I feel very confident in saying that I feel good about Penn State's chances under the lights coming off of a bye with John O'Corn under center. To And to very quickly uh, comment on the Big Ten Championship path, coming into the season, the thing that always made the most sense to me was that between Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, each team plays each other, each team goes one and one, and each team defends their home field. So that means Penn State loses to Ohio State, Penn State beats Michigan, and Michigan beats Ohio State. Then we have a three-way tie at the top. And then what we would need from there is for the team, every team to just run the table, which Penn State and Ohio State currently have the possibility to do that. And we needed Ohio State to lose one game, which... Well, Ohio State to lose one game from the Penn State perspective, which they did when they lost to Oklahoma. So what I was hoping was that the stupid, idiotic jerks in Ann Arbor could just hold up their end of the bargain for once in their lives. And they ended up not doing that. They had to go out and they had to lose to Michigan State. And now I'm very mad and it makes me extremely not happy. But let's give Michigan State a little bit of credit. I think that you know, so much of the let's dis- just let's just let Michigan State beat Ohio State too. Sure, I'll I'll take that. Sure, whatever. I mean, I have no problem uh, slotting in Michigan State in any weird hypothetical scenarios that I make for uh, Penn State because that would make Michigan fans a little more mad. But I do want to give Michigan State a little bit of credit because I think so much of the narrative behind this game has been. Michigan lost it. John O'Corn lost it for Michigan. If Wilton Spate plays, Michigan's okay. Blah, 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 all this stuff. At the same time, Michigan State still forced five turnovers. Michigan State still held Michigan to 10 points and 300 yards of total offense. Yes, Michigan State's offense is not very good. It really struggled and it really, really seemed to be content to sit back once it got 14 on the board. Uh, and, you know, just what happens if we give it to L.J. Scott and he falls forward and, look, there's two yards there. And, oh, not L.J. Scott. He, yeah. Uh, Gerald Holmes and Madre London. And what if Brian Lewerke runs every now and then? Like, they seem very happy to do that stuff. Like, Madre London had 59 yards, 50 came on one carry. Gerald Holmes had 27 yards, 15 came on one carry. So they just did what they had to do to win this game, and this is kind of what I think we've come to expect 
out of Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio. Take last year out of the equation. It's a team that that defense is going to lock you down. It's going to punch you in the mouth. It's going to make moving the football very hard. And then offensively, they're going to do just enough to win every football game that you're going to let them hang around in. Yeah, I mean, they're what we expected Michigan State to be last year, essentially. Inter- uh, how, how so? Because that I, I think that's a very interesting point, and I, I don't think anyone's really touched on that. So, Well, before they started losing every game last year, we expected Michigan State would be good, but we thought, I mean, I think consensus was that they wouldn't be quite as good as they were in the past few years before that. But so, I mean, and when you're when Michigan State is good, that's pretty much what it looks like. The defense leads the charge. The offense does enough to get it done. And that's kind of where they are now, I think. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And look at their looking at their schedule the rest of the way. Uh, they should. Well, they might have a bit of a hangover against Minnesota. Uh, host Indiana, go to Northwestern. Then Penn State and at Ohio State are their big back-to-back before end of the year, Maryland and at Rutgers. Uh, I, for one, am very upset that they are closing the year against Rutgers and not against Penn State because I have a big, stupid trophy that I want to see Penn State walk off the field with again. Uh, But other than that, I think this Michigan State team might be for real. And it's almost gotten to the point where I'm a little more concerned about having to go to East Lansing than I am about hosting Michigan. But we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, later in the upcoming weeks and later this season. For now, uh, 31-7. I don't know how you could be upset. Penn State's going to a bowl game. I don't know which bowl game yet, but at the very least, it seems like we're not doing Christmas in Detroit. So I think we can all agree that's a pretty good thing. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, all the various places that we are. Leave us a uh, review on iTunes. Make sure it's a good one. If it's a bad one, we're going to ignore it and hopefully taunt you if you use your Twitter handle. Follow us on Twitter at RLR Blog. Like us on Facebook, Roar Lions Roar. Keep reading the site and supporting the site and keep buying t-shirts. Uh, they're very comfortable. I've said that a million times, but they're still very comfortable. So whatever. One last time. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State. Go Hawks.